0: And Welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 39, The Boris Box, recorded February 12, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week we're going to uh, uh, touch on a previous episode where we talked about Boris and his firewall that it work, no touch. And we're going to talk about how you can make your own hardware firewall if you don't want to just buy a little plastic box and stick it under your bed, uh, we're going to talk to you about some of your options. So uh, with me this week to do that are the uh, perennial co-hosts. They're here every year and they bloom. Uh, Starting with Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris, what's going on?
1: Oh, not a whole lot, everyone, and welcome to the show.
0: I I see you got your mic working again. Are you still running under Windows 7, or did you give up and go back to Linux?
1: Yes, I work under Windows. (laughs) At least at home, for now.
0: It's a temporary situation.
1: It is. And very a, temporary.
0: And also with us this week is Mr. Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. Hey, Aaron, what's going on?
2: Hello, the, I'm the rhubarb of Everyday Linux. Uh, the you, rhubarb? Yeah, one of the two perennial vegetables. Oh, nice. You should already called us <laughs> perennials a moment ago. That makes Chris asparagus.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had some
1: of that
2: today. Dibs a rhubarb. <laughs>
0: All right, that's the new title for the show, Dibs on Rhubarb. And you can have Uh, it. (laughs) I don't know why, but I'm in a very uh, boss radio mood today. I I keep wanting to do everything like this. (laughs) Boss, Vic Goss. (laughs) (laughs) How you sleeping? Hit me. (laughs) So anyway, uh, guys, what's going on in your uh, lives this week? My life has been turned upside down pretty significantly over the last seven days, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But uh, what about you guys? What's going on with you?
2: Well, if you've listened to my my podcast, the, my primary podcast, Woman Workout, you know that I've done the Tough Mudder, which is a big uh, nine to twelve mile, you know, Special Forces obstacle course. I had a friend that did the Georgia Tough Mudder this weekend. I did the one up in Winter for green Virginia, and uh, it was pretty cold when he did it on Saturday, and they had a lot of water obstacles. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but Georgia in Georgia, winter finally arrived this morning. Today was day two of the Tough Mudder. They do it, they do it over two days, so you can do it either day. Uh, and it was 14 degrees this morning when we got up. Wow! So somewhere about two hours southwest of Atlanta, there was a bunch of crazy people raising money for the Wounded Warrior by jumping into water, climbing through water, crawling through mud in literally 15-degree weather.
0: And those who said, no, I'll do it Sunday, I don't want to do it Saturday, are really mad at themselves right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, in fact, my so. wife oh, corrected me. They they weren't climbing the water; they were climbing into ice. <laughs> there right. were pictures of some of the water obstacles that had ice floating on the top of them.
0: I wonder if they They're, had people breaking up the ice. No, they had. A, yeah,
2: they had. A, they showed them run through one of the mud fields, and literally there was you know pie plate sized pieces of ice still on the surface wow. where they had it had been frozen overnight. So I'm glad I didn't do that one. Mine had hills. You know, lots of really ridiculously high, big, long, evil hills. Um, but I don't know if I'd rather have the hills and, and walk like John Wayne from a tra- after a trail ride for three days like I did, or uh, or the ice. I don't know.
0: It got down pretty cold here. I mean, for Texas standards, it was twenty four or so overnight, which is a spring day for you, right, Chris?
1: Well, which bringing that up, that's kind of an odd subject because right now we're in a weird weather pattern. Our coldest day late, uh, this uh, I think we got down to minus ten for one night and then it's back up to you know 14 is the overnight low and 20 is the overnight low for the rest of the week so it's weird we're not very cold this year
2: positively balmy
0: up there it sounds like
1: <laughs> it is it's sweatshirt weather and yeah. you know there's actually people running around and flip-flops and in shorts too still so
0: watch out so you don't get a sunburn out there when you're swimming in it
1: uh, no kidding
0: <laughs> i've got family yeah. who live in uh, anchorage alaska and we went to visit them in the summer and it was uh i think the high was 60 when we were there uh which is a fairly typical uh, as i understand it for that time of of year and they were going swimming at the base of the melted glaciers and they invited us to come along and i said no i don't think so 60 degrees is not swimming weather when you're from texas uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yes it is that's, that's ice, ice fishing awesome weather,
0: weather. <laughs> that's, that's ice awesome fishing weather, weather. I like that <laughs> well this week uh i went to um, the second largest EdTech conference in the country, which is the Texas Computer Education Association Conference in Austin, TCEA. And a special shout out to Mr. Chuck Jolly, known as Nightstar in the chat room. I met him there. He was a Tightwad Tech listener. And he walked up to me and, and stuck out his hand and said, hi, I'm Nightstar. And I went, oh, hey, I know that name. This is kind of cool to meet somebody there. It was almost yeah. like I was famous for just a half a second. So thanks for, for listening in, Chuck. And uh, I've been talking to him about maybe getting him on uh, Tightwad Tech and doing a listener spotlight because he's uh, got some interesting stuff going on at his school. But one of the things, one of the conversations I was having when I was um, there in Austin was a friend of mine who knows that we do the podcast, asked why I didn't do more promotion about it, self-promotion, telling people about it. And, you know, how come I didn't basically advertise myself? And it's a question I get asked a lot, so I thought I would mention it on this show, and I'll probably bring it up again on the Tightwad Tech since those are our two biggest shows right now. My philosophy on self-promotion has always been, if I have to tell you what I did, then what I did wasn't worth being noticed. You need to, other people need to be bragging about what I do, or it needs to be um, so good that... Uh, it comes to your attention through other means. That, that's Maybe it's humility. Maybe if Sean were here, Sean Kaibo of the Taiwan Tech, he, he would say that's just dumb because he's all about self-promotion and, and and really just being shameless in in advertising your personal brand. But that's just not the way I look at it. The way I look at it, if you're not telling other people about me, then I'm not good enough yet and I need to be better. Because when I'm good enough, you will want to tell everybody about it. You won't, won't be able to stop telling people about me. So if I have to tell you about me and tell other people about me, I'm not good enough yet. That's just my philosophy on the on the subject.
1: You know, and I feel the same way. That's why I don't um, do any advertisement for my home business. Um, I don't think I've – the most advertising I've done is put some business cards out in different locations, and that was about it.
2: Well, I'm going to have to play Mr. Roper um, and agree with both of you <laughs> because I think promotion is not a bad thing because you might – reach a, you know, a demographic or, or, you know, a horizontal demographic that, or vertical, I guess it'd be, that you would not tap into normally just because you may not know anybody in that realm or you may not have friends in that realm or whatever. So I think the promotion is okay. But at the same time, if you are doing a good job, the word of mouth should also be spreading too. So I don't, I don't have a problem either way.
0: Yeah. So those of you out there who are, um, are thinking, you know, Hey Mark, why don't you do X? Why don't you buy Google AdWords ads or whatever? I'm really counting on you. Um, so if I don't think they're going to buy ads for us, Mark. <laughs> that's true. I want you to be our ads. You know how you can be our ad? You could go to com and click the uh, sh- uh, store button at the top there and buy a hat, buy a shirt. They're good quality hats. They've got a cool logo on them. And everywhere you go, people will say, what's that? And you get to be ask ads, us about it.
2: Be our ads, be our ads. That's right.
0: <laughs> so uh, that's, that's just my thought about that. I, I encourage you. All, I know this is the wrong show for that since we're all Linux guys and, and iTunes doesn't work on Linux. If you're an iTunes user, go to the iTunes store and rate us. Leave a comment if you want, but if nothing else, just rate us. Put a star there because that's what draws attention to the iTunes people and maybe we could get featured. And and when you get featured, lots and lots of good things can happen.
2: Something else you can do is go to ellenopie.com slash facebook.com forward slash and like a particular podcast that you liked. Cause when you do that, that'll show up in your feed right. and all your friends will see how many, uh, will see that podcast and go, Oh, that might be, you know, if, if Fred liked that, maybe I should listen to it. I know, uh, Mark, I don't know if you checked this out or not, but Facebook tells me how many distinct friends my people who like my Facebook page for one mil workout have. Right. Currently there's about 53,000 distinct people that my friends have as friends actually not my friends the people who have liked my page right. have as friends so that's a pretty good sized audience and so if if uh you know if a half a dozen people go in there and say they like a particular podcast that shows up on my page that's that's a good way to advertise it doesn't cost them anything but a second right and uh, yeah. it passes the word
0: and on every episode <clears throat> excuse me on every episode we put out in the show notes on the front page or when you click in, uh, in and go back to previous episodes there's a tweet button there's a like button there's a plus one button that you don't even have to go to any of those other sites. You just click that, and if you're logged into Google+, Plus or if you're logged into Facebook, it'll like it for you just at the click of a button. So just some simple things you can do. They don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but it can make somebody else who's never heard of us go, hey, what's that? And go. Yep. Yep. So anyway, that's all I had to say about that. Chris, what what did you have to say for us this week?
1: (laughs) Well, my daughter, um, who's three, made everyone I know pretty much fall out of that chairs laughing when I tell them the story. So I figured I would share it with our audience because I know most of them are fathers or have daughters or sons or whatever that would make a similar comment. So but this is what my daughter did this this past Friday. Um I once in a while we give our kids a little treat and to, Friday night was Oreos. So we handed out a couple Oreos to the kids. And my daughter runs away into her room She's you know munching the Oreo away, and then she exclaims as loud as she can, "Oh no!" and runs back into the kitchen. Daddy, my Oreo disappeared. And of course, she has the ring of Oreo <laughs> around her face, and her tongue is black, and she's just nom 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 nom. My Oreo's gone. It disappeared. It was magic. <laughs> of course, since it was so, since it was so cute, I, I had to give her another one just because you know it was cute. So she runs back off to her bedroom, and you hear from the bedroom in loud and clear words, Abracadabra, Oreo disappeared. Nom, 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 (laughs) nom, nom. And then, of course, repeated. So I had a good chuckle this whole weekend.
0: So how many Oreos did she get out of you doing that?
1: Out of me? Two. Out of uh, a friend of mine who's been a close friend since I was probably, I don't know, a freshman in high school. Um, Another six because he's because he's a sucker so this is the man who also sat in my living room with my son when he was three in polished stuff i think it was two bags of oreos and a gallon of milk one morning
0: you may want to uh listen to our most recent episode of uh, uh excuse me one meal one workout where we talk about stemming childhood obesity if your kids are putting away oreos at that rate
1: Well, but you also got to remember what my kids do for fun. (laughs) My son's a Taekwondo student, and my daughter runs just as fast as he does. So I don't think we have to worry about that just yet. (laughs) Maybe adolescent obesity I got to worry about, but not childhood.
0: (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's move on and talk about some Linux news. There's not a lot this week, Uh, just one that uh, OpenStack is going to remove Hyper-V support in their yep. quarter to release.
1: Yep. I found that one as a follow-up to last week's where they're saying they were thinking about it, and then I got a notice saying that it wasn't a think, it was a yes, it's going to happen. So just see if anyone is wondering, it's going to happen as of the Q2 release unless Microsoft starts taking care of it.
0: And that's the thing that Microsoft was was saying, let us fix it. And Openstack, uh, OpenStack was saying, no, we're going to take it out because it's broken. Microsoft said, no, let us fix it. Well, apparently they're not listening to Microsoft as, at this point. They don't believe that uh, they're going to fix it.
1: It's it's I, From what I was reading, it was one of those things where they need to have it fixed before it goes back in. Right. So, you know, um, if you are one of those people that need um, Hyper, Hyper-V in your Stack, then... Uh,
0: the heck just happened <laughs> i think Aaron just <laughs> passed out
1: I, I just totally got broken because the, our fellow our fellow everyday linux are just random from the computer
0: <laughs> welcome back aaron okay so uh open v dropping hyper stack or, or OpenStack dropping hyper v there's some opens and some hypers in there yep <clears throat> so guys uh, Chris what kind of, of firewall do you run at your house
1: I run PF sense
0: uh, on what sort of hardware
1: it's a p4 with two gigs of ram
0: okay so just a spare box you had laying around yep Pentium 4 isn't exactly modern uh, Aaron what about right. you what do you run
2: I run ATT Uverse
0: <laughs> so whatever the box they gave you they were built into the router
2: yeah yeah I don't I don't do anything uh I live my I have enough buffer right now that I'm out of the range of anybody unless they drove up in my driveway and tried to 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 get me or got up in a tree a couple of miles away with the yag antenna and pointed it at my house and stole my bandwidth or something crazy like that, but I'm so.
0: pretty sure there's no out of range on the internet
2: no no no, no, I'm sorry, I was thinking totally wifi yeah you're fine yeah but I'm still just using the a t and t um uverse router okay that's all. I've done the you know penetration test, the freebie that Gibson does, and uh, there's nothing really to steal on my. St- I, I'm, 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 stealthed. Yeah, for the most part, and I'm. I don't have anything. I don't keep anything that I would care if people stole all my stuff anyway. So,
0: and and uh, we'll talk about those little uh, you know little routers uh, in a minute as we go on. Uh, currently, right now, I am running just a Cisco. Uh, who bought Linksys, a cheap little uh, router uh, as my firewall and using its built-in stuff. Yes, I did change the default password. Uh That's good. But uh, I used to be running um, a different one that we'll talk about here in a little bit, and the reason I changed is because my ISP was blaming my unconventional firewall for my dropout problems. And it's one of those things you, you can't argue. There's no point in arguing. All you have to do, all you can do is change it and then prove to him that it didn't make any difference. Um, I think well, I've
1: mentioned so men- far it's working. We haven't dropped yet.
0: Oh no, it's still <laughs> dropping like crazy. I I think I've mentioned on the show before. I I know it. Anybody, everybody who's ever watched the show live knows that uh, periodically my internet access will just drop for just like forty five seconds, not very long, but that's certainly long enough to kill a ustream upload and a Skype uh, conversation. So uh, it's happening uh, fairly regularly, most often in the evenings. And I've talked with uh, uh, Time Warner Cable was my provider. I've talked with their support a few times, and uh, they go back and forth between denying the problem and saying that they'll get somebody out who never comes. But interesting, when they do that. interesting, just recently I was talking to somebody who I didn't know. It was a friend of a friend kind of thing. And he mentioned that he can't uh, play his World of Warcraft because every time he, he's on, uh, it'll drop for just like 45 seconds at a time. I said, "Wait, hey, you must have Time Warner Cable, don't you? And he lives um, on a completely different node way across town. So that says to me that it's a systemic problem, probably where the Internet comes into our town. And most likely the entire town is dropping out for 45 seconds at a time, <clears throat> which would certainly explain why they're denying it. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants
1: deny, to, deny, to deny, deny, deny.
0: Or maybe that's their their way of, of uh, trying to kill torrenters. You know, if we just drop it for a few seconds, it'll break those connections. I... I ISPs think stupid things like that all the time.
1: Fact well, but is, that would not break torrents because right. torrents are made to handle that break.
0: Right. The All the things that they try to break are the things that are most resilient to that. However, <laughs> the guy trying to watch Netflix is going to ruin his day, you know, or oh, uh, yeah. trying to have a Skype conversation. <laughs> but anyway, um, I probably will end up going back to something else once I finally get them to admit that it's their problem. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> why not? Just use a Linksys or a D-Link or a $50 off-the-shelf router, firewall.
1: Well, for my personal reasons, uh, I quit using one of those little plastic boxes when I started having more than a couple of connections out to the internet. Um, my laptop, my wife's laptop. Uh, once I started adding my son and all the other things in my, in my house, um, we noticed that if we are streaming music in the living room, And my son was playing a game, I couldn't browse the internet at all. Um, It was just something to do with my little box that couldn't handle it. So then we upgraded to another little box with something like, um, what was it? I put DDR, um, WRT on it, and it did okay for a while. And then we added two or three more boxes. And now, if I don't have something that's got a little bit of horsepower behind it, it just makes browsing in my house horrible. The other thing, the other reason why I went with the particular firewall um, and unified threat management system that I went with is mainly because of the squid caching that PFSense has. Um, That's kind of helped a lot. Uh, It's kind of, kind of spooky on how much this thing takes care of us.
0: All right. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but uh, for, for, for now, before we get to software, let's talk about hardware. Um, what I'm sure all of our audience knows, <clears throat> but what maybe your aunt doesn't know and you're trying to explain to her why uh, she might need something uh, different, those those off-the-shelf routers have the tiniest little processors in them, just the bare minimum to do the job. Chris says he's got an old P4 running. That's like a 100 times as powerful as what most of these things have in them. They're running chips that... Um, have never been strong enough to be in, you know, even the, the Vic 20 was a more powerful chip than what they're putting in these things because they don't do much for most people. uh, Right. You, you're going to be browsing, you know, and a really busy day, five websites at once. And you might have your iPad streaming, um, uh, Pandora, and you might have, you might be watching Netflix. So, you know, worst case scenario, four or five devices in the average house. So
2: Go ahead, just, I don't I don't know much about the actual programming behind firewalling. I understand the concept and and settings and things like that, but does it require a logarithmic increase in resources to manage multiple streams? Um, so like the more connections
0: speaking, I have. Yes, generally speaking, uh, most most uh, hardware will do what's called stateful packet inspection. And what that means is that it will open up every data packet that goes through it and look to see if it's allowed or not. That's really kind of the only way you can do um, uh, a firewall in any meaningful way. So, yeah, the more packets you're shoving through at a time, the uh, the the more processing power it takes. And so anything more than just a couple of connections, and those things can, can just be overwhelmed.
2: Does the bandwidth affect that as well?
0: Absolutely. The more bandwidth yep. you have, the more right. packets you're pushing through. So I've got my 12 meg or 14 meg down,
2: unless I go to Wisconsin and stay in that hotel, then I got 22 meg up or whatever crazy amount I had that time. Yeah, that, <laughs> that could be uh, pretty ferocious.
0: Well, generally speaking, and I'm making these numbers up, so don't hold me to them. Your typical off-the-shelf router can handle one computer going just all out gigabit, and it would be fine because it's 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 not so much the bandwidth as the number of connections. So you may yep. be pulling a lot of packets through a single connection, but once it's already proved that connection, it it's fine. It's making uh, it's making the connections and breaking the connections that that wears them out.
2: So surfing yep. is more more obtrusive than downloading.
0: Right, exactly. And so uh, and things like um, uh, online video games, where you're sending lots of data back and forth about different things from different uh, uh, resource servers, can really kill them. So that even you know uh, you got. Two guys, uh, two college kids in a, in a house uh, trying to play World of Warcraft, they're probably going to kill your basic cheap server.
1: Yeah, your, your basic router. Um, even even a pretty high-end one, you can. I was over at my buddy's house, and they have the same provider that I do, but they have a cheap D-Link. And the, the, the action of me and him logging into Steam together to play a game of Left 4 Dead, was too much
2: for that dealing uh it could be that the zombies were eating your extra packets
1: Yeah, it could be it could be but we were shooting a lot of them so i don't know we, we might have took care of a few of them <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah the more zombies you kill the fewer problems you have um uh, so that's that's talking about uh, uh some of the hardware issues and, and again they're designed for you know the the single mom with six-year-olds who just don't put a hurting on the internet much. Um, but they're also de- designed for the very non-technical user because the, the last thing uh, Cisco or Belkin or D-Link want to do is answer service calls. They have sold you this dirt-cheap piece of equipment, barely made any money on it. They want to be done with you. They don't want to be answering your support calls. So they make them very easy to set up, and that's to their credit. However, oftentimes simplicity and security don't go hand-in-hand. One of the things that uh, is very popular and has been for a long time is called UPnP, Universal Plug and Play. And it's a pack it's a uh, protocol by which say your Xbox can tell your firewall, "Hey, I need this open. Open up a port for me." And your firewall says, "Sure. Go right ahead." <clears throat> and so now your firewall is letting your your Xbox do what you want it to do. Your TiVo can say, "Hey, I need this port open to go out." Can uh, go ahead and open this port. And the firewall says, "Sure, I'll do that." Which then again pretty much makes your firewall pointless. Because if yep. you can plug a hole in it at random anytime you want with just a simple software recre- request, what good is it? So hackers figured that out and started making software that would open UPnP ports you know, at random anytime they wanted to send spam through your firewall.
1: And the other thing is that with UPnP, they can actually open up your firewall and then reconnect to it from outside and change your firewall.
0: Right. Right. So that yeah, they can say, open up a port because I need remote access. Then they, you know, let the remote access in, and then they can do whatever they want to because they own your box. So, you know, bad things. (laughs) UPnP is a bad thing, but it's never going to go away because um, manufacturers like it because it's easy. And, And manufacturers of other, like Microsoft, likes it for their Xbox because people will call their tech support if they can't get a connection to Xbox Live. So it's not going anywhere. And it's not necessarily a terrible idea; it's just not well implemented. Yep. And another one that's very new in the news is the WPS vulnerability. Windows uh, Protected Security uh, Wireless Protection. So I don't wireless protection. I don't remember what it is, but it's a system uh, by which your wireless devices uh, can seamlessly connect with other wireless devices. So you bring your uh, your new iPhone home. And, uh, and I, I say iPhone because I know it's one of the things that supports it. So you bring a new iPhone home and it asks the wireless network, Hey, is there a wireless network here? Can I connect the wireless network? says, sure. Go right ahead. Connect away. Again, good idea. Handy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to enter any long keys or or anything like that. You don't need, need to know what the SSID is, but, um, if it's misused and nothing out there has ever been released that somebody hasn't tried to misuse. If it's misused, people from the outside can pretend they're you wanting to connect and connect. And, and once they're, that's the thing about wireless. Once they're connected to the wireless, they're on the back end of the firewall. So they're connected as if they were sitting in your living room. Yeah. Wi-Fi protected setup. Thank you, Nightstar. I knew that's, uh, that somebody would catch me on that when I didn't know what it was. The internet is great for that. If you're wrong, they will quickly connect, cor- correct you.
1: <laughs> Thank you, my second brain.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, wireless uh, Wi Fi protected setup is broken uh, just from the very start on some of these devices. Now, my new Linksys, uh, excuse me, Cisco, because Cisco bought Linksys uh, router that I just bought, has one of those buttons on it where you push the button and you're. Um, Automatically connected on a device that supports it. My Windows 7 laptop supports it. I don't know if uh, Linux has supported that in any of their uh, latest uh, iterations or not. But,
1: I didn't uh, tell you, I've never used it. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's pretty new, but it's also newly broken. So there, just a couple of reasons why, y- if you're a security-conscious person or a power user, you might not want to use just a store-bought, off-the-shelf router. Uh, What's interesting is uh, the WPS thing, you're supposed to have a a four-digit code that you have to enter. But what a lot of the lazy manufacturers have have started doing is giving everybody the same four-digit code so that they don't have to print multiple labels. They can just print one label with the same four-digit code on it and slap it on a 1,000 devices. That's
1: handy. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Handy,
2: Handy for the hackers.
0: Right. Not something that you want to do... Uh, if you're security conscious, but if you're in the uh, interest of just being as lazy as possible, it's a great thing. So the Boris right. box is not necessarily lazy, but secure.
2: Yeah, and, and that's a, that's actually kind of a – that's getting more into what I was talking about, the wireless security as opposed to just a, a stateful firewall type thing. Because once you sit like you said, once they do that, they're already behind the firewall. Right. <laughs> yep. You've already let them in the castle gate and shut the porticolos behind them and sat them down for dinner and then realize that they're in the castle.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, uh, just because this we've named this whole episode after it, give us a very quick uh, thirty-second version of the Boris Box story. Okay.
2: So, I was working in 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 healthcare IT in Texas, and we needed a firewall. We were using um, what were we using before? I don't, I don't even remember. Some kind of older hardware appliance. It just wasn't doing what we needed to do. We needed a few more. Few more features to be able. We need to put, be able to have a little more control. We need something a little, a little more tough. I actually had done a little minor, minor penetration test myself, and found that it was pretty bad. So we called our ISP because my boss was a was a MCSE database person, um, you know, regular networking stuff. But she didn't really have any experience on like uh, DMZs and firewalls and that kind of stuff in the real world. And uh, and I was all application and desktop stuff at that time. And so. The guy said, I "Tell you what, I've got this guy here, and I can't remember his name. I, I think I called him Boris. So his real name was like Kafka or something. I can't remember what his name is. And and uh, I'll get him to set you up a Linux firewall. And we're like, oh, what? You know, I didn't really know what that meant. I'd heard of Linux, heard of Unix. He said, do 'Don't worry about it. He'll set it up.' So anyway, a couple days later, this guy shows up. Uh, he's got a, an old Dell, putty-colored, you know, like a GX100 or something. The beige box. Exactly. Two network cards in it." Um, takes it in our server closet, you know, takes the, uh, cable right out of the, I think, I think with that time we had a, uh, T1, plugs it in one, takes it, plugs it in the network cable from that and goes to our main switch and says, she's done. <laughs> We're like, what do you mean she's done? And he, he sat down, you know, you brought it up on the screen and he, we gave him our public IP address and stuff. He tap, 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 all the command line. She's done. And I was like, what, what do you mean she's done? Firewall's done she set up. No, nobody gets in, nobody gets out unless you want them to. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So, I went back, did my penetration test. Sure enough, everything was totally, it was like we did not exist. We, we were KGB approved at that point. And uh, so, anytime we wanted to, to do anything, though, we had to call Boris and Boris would connect to it from the ISP and fix it. But it was always very clandestine. It would be like, Boris, we've got to open this VPN tunnel with this vendor for such and such. What IP? You know, 10 blah, blah, blah. Click, 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 click. She done. <laughs> you know, that was it. That was all we ever got from you know, so him. Can you tell me how to do that? No. <laughs> if I tell
0: you, I must kill you.
2: I was like, well, "What did you do before?" He said, "I, my, my most recent job, I set up eight thousand computers at University of Stalingrad or something like that." And uh he literally had done that. He had. Um, he had. Uh, Chris, are you leaning on your keyboard there? What's going?
1: On? <laughs> yep.
2: Um, he had, he had worked for the university of Stalingrad and set up like computers in there on their whole campus and everything. And then he came to the United States. The second thing I remember most about him was that he smelled really bad, (laughs) (laughs) not only was he European, but he was also a geek. So two reasons not to bathe, I guess. So, So yeah, that was it. We had this awesome firewall that just sat in our closet and ran. And if we needed a port open, we called Boris and he opened a port for us.
0: So, since the first time that Aaron told this story on the show, we've re- referred to any Bayes Box server as a Boris Box. A yep. Boris Box. So, today we're going to talk about, you know, setting up your own Boris Box.
2: I'm uh, telling you, Mark, if you, if you wrote a, po- a post about that and put it on the line, you know, how to build a Boris Box, I bet you it would catch on. We'd have our own <laughs> meme.
0: <laughs> the, bo- the, the Boris move. She is done. She She yep. works.
2: <laughs> and do nothing. You just call me. You need help. Pete in the chat room
0: says, "Yes, moose and squirrel." <laughs> and then I,
2: well, then I told you about my coworker who, who the guy came and fixed his washing machine. You know, and his wife's like, "Do we need to test it?" He said, "I fixed lot. It work." <laughs> you know, she's like, "Oh, okay." And then he says, "You have cash?" <laughs> yes, I do. Good.
0: <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yeah, you have to lot. pay Boris in cash. Yeah, because, apparently. Uh, Uh, He wants things untraceable. So what tool can you use if you want to build a Boris box? And Chris has already mentioned his favorite, PFSense. I'll let you go into a little more detail about that, Chris.
1: PFSense is a Unix derivative that runs on pretty much anything you can throw it on. Um, It's basically just like the Boris box. You throw PFSense on a CD or a thumb drive. You install the thing. And then you access it by a web interface to configure it. Um, there are a ton of extra packages that you could install as well. I'm using the antivirus scan and squid and Dan's guardian are the three packages that I have on top of pfSense. So I have content filtering, a local proxy and a antivirus scanning all the packets coming in.
0: All right, so tell people what squid is and why they want it. Why do you want an a, an aquatic cephalopod in your Boris box?
1: <laughs> the nice thing about having a, the squid installed in your Boris box is then you can actually cache your most used pages. So like in my house, we do a lot of, my wife does a lot of Facebooking and a lot of Google stuff. So the nice thing is, is anything that's a repetitive, that would be a repetitive download, it isn't. Going out to the internet again, and staying local. So the speeds for the stuff that, like uh, the Facebook banners or the Google Plus banners, all that stuff stays local, so it's immediately available. The other Uh thing I have it configured for is Windows updates. So if one of my machines in the network grab a Windows update, they're then now local, and they don't have to keep going to Microsoft for more. So the speeds for updates are almost instant. Um, I was doing an update just yesterday on my son's XP box after I did an update on my other laptop that that's XP. And the updates were like, you know, downloading this update, done. Downloading this update, done. And it, it was just immensely quicker.
2: Well, I want to go back to one thing. Mark, aren't all cephalopods aquatic?
0: Uh, I don't know. I just okay, wanted right, to, to right. leave the possibility open that there might be a land-based cephalopod. <laughs> I
2: was just kidding. Anyway, that's that's really cool. You know, I I don't have. I wish I knew what Boris was actually running. Of course, this was seven eight years ago, but it could very well have been, you know, one of the ones we have in the show notes or are going to be in the show notes. Right. And you got me now wanting to go make my own Boris box just for the fun of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, a, a word on caching. Caching is everywhere. Your browser caches things. That you've been to before. Your ISP is caching things. My wife. ISP is caching things. Uh, <sighs> caching is all over the place. And it's important uh, because it keeps you from having to, to go back and waste the bandwidth on those things all over again. I know at my school where we have uh, you know thousands of concurrent connections at a time, there is a noticeable difference in performance when I turn caching on or off. Um, and periodically, I have it set to go and purge the cache because sometimes you can get something stale. Like a Facebook page that that it, and they're supposed to be pretty smart about that, and most of the time they are. But sometimes you'll get something stuck, and so I'll update the website, and you know, four days later, it's not there in half of our browsers. The other half see them, uh, and and half of them don't. So you have to periodically purge your cache, and most systems will have some uh, automated way to do that. The bigger you set your cache, the the more stale you let things get, the more performance you get out of it. So there's always this balance between a stale cache versus going and refreshing your cache. Because every time you refresh your cache, you go out and download the thing that you were trying to cache so that you wouldn't have to download it. Right. And caching does not help generally on large downloads because it, they're, they tend to be one-offs anyway. So it's yep. not going to make your torrents download faster. It'll make your pages load faster.
1: Unless you're torrenting the same file over and over and over.
0: Right. And I don't
1: then know it might to do that. I don't just either.
0: Be silly <laughs> yeah, because then you're a moron no, uh, no
1: Wait, we wouldn't do say that
0: <laughs> <laughs> no squid for you um the the next one the one that I have used uh is and you know up until very recently it's called IPCOP. cop and i p cop is a derivative of smooth wall uh, yeah. the that's the thing about open sources uh projects they're kind of like churches. they get into a fight over the color of the carpet and somebody goes off and forms a new church. Um, uh, open source projects are just as just the same way. Somebody didn't like something going on at Smoothwall, so they went and and made IP cop. Um, and I like IP cop because it's a little more GUI. It's a, a you know easier to manage and a less command line stuff. But would uh, Seth you, approve of it? Uh, Seth would approve of IP cop. Okay. He really would.
1: Um, <laughs> he'd probably approve of PF Sense too because it's pretty GUI driven as well.
0: I've seen PF It's yeah, it's a lot better. Is it Linux based or is it BSD based?
1: it's unix based.
0: Unix based, okay.
1: Yep. It's and it, it's, they took the idea from Smoothwall and they of course got in a fight and so they it off and pfSense was born. Right. So it's very similar to Smoothwall for the back end.
0: Yeah, Smoothwall was where I got my start and then I moved from Smoothwall to to IPcop. And the thing about firewalls is they're not something you're going to upgrade often. Not something you're going to change often. They're they're an appliance. They're a toaster. You're going to set them up once and generally forget about them. You might upgrade if uh, you get a note that some security vulnerabilities be fun- been found or whatever. But my um, my firewall, my IP cop, is a uh, a laptop that came with Windows 98 on it. So it's that. Wow. Old. It's got uh, one built-in NIC, and I put a PM- PCMCIA NIC because it doesn't even have USB support. That's how old it is. Uh, so I put a, a PC card NIC in it, um, and so I've got one going to the the internet, one going to the LAN, and it's got uh 32 megs of ram maybe I <laughs> mean, not much at all uh and like a, a a 500 meg hard drive not even a gig i got
2: 16 or more 16 times the meg of ram that's in there dealing route right, router right. right at home right so even
0: with those terrible <laughs> specs it is far uh superior to uh because it's a pentium class processor it's far better than uh anything um uh, other than uh, other anything more than what you would get uh, off the shelf, unless you're buying, uh, you know, something enterprise grade. And But my enterprise grade thing at school, I have a, an enterprise rack mount hardware. It's running on a 486 processor <laughs> um, and it handles tens of thousands of concurrent connections without blinking. So it just doesn't take much to do this stuff. This stuff is all hardware optimized. So any machine you've got, if it's reliable, I mean, if you can turn it on and know that it's going to stay on for weeks or months or years at a time, then it's good. If it's something that you have to babysit, you you don't want to use it for that.
2: Let me do a quick sidebar. Um, Is it, if, you, if you're if you the person that has one PC at home and it takes so little to run this, could you run it on your own local machine that is also your home machine and, and be happy with that? Um, is that possible? Is that even doable? I mean, I know obviously Windows has a built-in firewall that's supposed to be doing the same kinds of things.
0: No, there's no good way to run a firewall on the same machine you're running your connections on. Now, like you said, Windows has a firewall. Linux has a firewall. Uh, Mac OS, I think, can have a firewall. I don't think it comes on by default. But they're not the same because you have to get to the hardware first. You have to go through the OS. You have to... So if the OS is broken, then there's no... There's nothing there. It won't even see it. You know, if there's a back door somewhere... Um, in the uh, in the uh, OS, mm-hmm. it could be corrupted long before it ever got to the part of the, the software that said there's a firewall engaged.
2: All right. So just for hypotheticals, for fun, what if I were to run a virtual machine? What if I had three NIC cards in my PC and I ran a virtual machine and I assigned two of the NIC cards to the, the virtual machine? One of those was my internet out in and my internet out and my other NIC card was on the main machine and it was running to the switch. And so traffic actually came in, went through my virtual machine as a firewall, and then went back out to the switch then back to my main PC. Could that work?
0: That's even worse because now you've added another layer of software that could be broken. Yep. So there's all those layers that have to work exactly right for you to be secure.
2: Well, I would think in a situation like that, you would want to go down and buy a $9 router at Micro Center.
1: Right. If you only have the one computer. <laughs> yeah. If you only have, have one machine, so the, it'd be pointless.
2: So the person who's out there thinking about it and wondering what they're going to do, I just thought that would... Uh, that might be funny to to ask the question yeah
0: and all yeah, well, all wireless things that you buy at the store have a router built in yes. so there if you've got wireless in your house you have a router uh, a router it just may not be the best router you can have it, but it may be good enough for you
1: right the only other thing that you might get as the single person running the of if you wanted to run something like pfsense or uh one some of the other ones that have the add-ins like squid um it would be the caching factor you know you might save some bandwidth with that, but other than, that, I don't know why you would need such an appliance for just one person. Right.
0: But unless you just like doing this sort of stuff, in the yeah. which in which case, then that point zero one percent performance is something you can get all excited about. <laughs> it's optimized. It's working better. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And just so you guys know, um I pulled the, the squid reports for my network here locally and since February, um I have cached or I've pulled from cash ten percent of my network bandwidth since the beginning of February. So So
0: you've saved ninety percent no. You've saved ten percent of your saved,
1: downloads. Yep, I've saved ten percent. Yeah. So you could but that's that, that's
2: but that's um that's really That doesn't mean you save 10% of your downloads because that's not, that 90% accounts for all your internet traffic, period, which a lot of stuff on the internet is is like you're talking about the one off stuff too, where you're just browsing around. I wonder of actual downloads like Windows updates and pages you went to repetitively, I wonder, does that mean, I I wonder if you can, I wonder if you can equate that to you only go to 10% of your traffic is actually only cacheable. I would think so, maybe.
1: I would, well, like for this one right here. Um, I have it broken up by days too. On the f- the 10th of February, I did five gigabytes of traffic in and out. I was able to pull one gigabyte of that cash or one gigabyte of that traffic as cash only.
0: So that's 20% on that day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm saving a lot of traffic, which then frees up my internet for other things.
0: Right. And, and again, it, May, that 20% may not be a big deal if you've got enough broadband, but Chris barely qualifies as broadband. So saving 20% of his bandwidth is a big deal. He's just
2: chubby band.
0: Yeah. Aaron and I, I've got 15 uh, and I've got 20 and Aaron's got 15. So, I mean, we can, we can afford some waste because yep. we happen to live in relatively urban areas with copper running straight to our house where Chris has something maybe made of cobalt or something.
1: <laughs> I have, I have, Three down, yeah. just in case people wanted to know,
0: which is not bad. I mean, I'm making fun of it. Three three megabits is a lot. It wasn't wasn't five years ago that I had, uh, you know, five hundred megabits. I mean, a uh, uh, 0.5, 500 kilobits, and was just super happy about it. <laughs> so it's all it's all relative. Um, when, when I'm trying to remember, I think it was five or six years ago my entire school ran off a a single T1, which is 1.5 megabits. So we had 900 users on 1.5 megabits. And so at my house, I have 10 times that for effectively three users. You know, my wife uh, doesn't do much, but Facebook, Uh, I'm the heavy user. And then my oldest daughter uses some, and that's about it. So, uh
2: I just got 11 down and one and a half up while we were streaming in <laughs> yeah. Skype.
0: That's what you had left over to work with. <laughs> while we're streaming you video
2: and audio. And- <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs>
0: yeah, I get great bandwidth when it works.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yours just gets yeah, I- tired. Yours is more of a sprint, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> that's funny. We're getting Grammy updates uh from Pete in the chat room and he says, Mark, you need a mic that picks up your voice perfectly even when your mouth is closed, like Rihanna's does.
2: (laughs) So apparently, I saw somebody on Facebook earlier saying, lip syncing at the Grammys, really? That's only good for the Super Bowl, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh another thing that we've talked about on this show before is untangle. Uh, Untangle is different than IP cop or Dan's Guardian or wait we we haven't we'll get back to Dan's Guardian or PF Sense or um a uh, smooth, smooth wall. Wall in that it is a what's called a uh, unified threat and maintenance and, and pf sense is as well and 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 uh IP cop to a lesser extent. It is it in aims to be not just a firewall, but a content filter, a spam filter, um uh an ad blocker, all that stuff at the firewall level. So instead of having to have an ad blocker on your browser, a plug-in making things run slower, you can actually block known ad servers at the firewall and they never get to your uh box. Uh, same with with uh, spam, you can have it check all uh, mail coming through before it ever hits your client, <laughs> which yep. doesn't, doesn't do any good for me because I use Gmail, <laughs> so I don't really have a client. But you could do it that way. Um, the, uh, Untangle is is I think unsurpassed for simplicity and and ease of use. I, it's what I use at my school behind the the big firewall. I, I run too. I don't use the firewall part of untangle i use it for the the packet filtering and the content filtering all that good sort of stuff um and it's it's a freemium model most 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 of it is free but the really cool stuff that you might want in the enterprise like if you wanted to uh, connect it to active directory or if you wanted to packet shape and say that this application can only get x kb of bandwidth and this application could get more you can pay for those components but for the home user that stuff you're not going to use anyway untangle is great now let me say all of these things that we've mentioned, IP cop, smooth wall, Dan's—I uh, keep saying Dan's guard because it's on the list. PF Sense, uh, Untangle—they totally take over your box. So, like Aaron's talking about it, it's not something you want to install alongside <laughs> your regular operating system. It will totally take over your computer, and it needs two network cards—at least two. You can do three yep. if you want to do uh, DMZing or more. Yeah, you can do yeah multiple, but you need minimum two network cards and a dedicated box. But we can split we said, off our own happens. one and
2: call it Skynet.
0: <laughs> yeah, because geeks would would really feel safe around something called Skynet, wouldn't they?
2: Well, it takes <laughs> over the box. So. Okay. <sighs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Mark.
0: Um, now, the thing that I keep stumbling over, I'm going to go ahead and talk about that. Dan's Guardian is a content filter. It is not a firewall. It is something you plug into your firewall. And a fellow named Dan invented a uh, Perl, I think it is, script that... Uh, analyzes things that go in through the Squid proxy. So we already talked about Squid. So you already get good proxying, but it reads what com- what comes into Squids, uh, and it does more than most other content filters out there. It's not just a block list of URLs that aren't allowed. It actually scans the content of every page as it comes through, does a word count, and there can be plus words and minus words. So if you're um, you may have the word breast. Have a plus three, but the word cancel cancer have a minus three. So if the word breast cancer is in the page, that's a neutral page. But if the word breast boob is in the page, that's plus three plus five, and you may set your limit at eight, and so that page gets blocked. So it's really ultimately uh, customizable like that. Uh, One of the reasons I use IP cop is it uh, has a really good GUI for Dan's Guardian. Dan's Guardian itself doesn't have any GUI at all. Other people have grafted things onto it. Um, but I, and IP cop is one of those where you can control it. You can plug it right in there to IP cop. Uh, how does that work in PF sense, Chris? Um,
1: you know, I really haven't played with it too much yet. It's installed, but I haven't configured it. Okay. So, uh,
0: so. The, the way you set that up and you can do multiple multi-level if, if you have it distinguishing between users, like in a, in a school setting, you could have the, the staff group have different level of, of, uh, filtering than the elementary group, uh, have a different level than the middle school group, have a different level than the high school group. And so it's all based on weights. And once you dial in those weights, and there's a lot of uh, setup work, but once you get those dialed in, it's really, I think, the best uh, filter out there. And smoothwall.com, the corporate side of smoothwall.org, has their content filter where, where they hired Dan. And they said, Dan, come work with us and you're going to be our CTO, our chief technology officer, and you're going to make this work. And so uh, Dan's Guardian itself, the project, is pretty stacked. It hasn't been had a significant update in a long time because it doesn't really need it. It works really well. Dan has been focusing over at SmoothWall.com on building a really simple, really powerful enterprise-grade uh, content filter. So if you're a school or uh, a business interested in that, then that's, I highly recommend you go there, smoothwall.com. They'll sell you an appliance or you can uh, put it on your own box uh, with uh, everything that that we've talked about with Dan's Guardian, but with a really slick GUI and great reporting and things split off by uh, all sorts of different categories. And you support a guy who started out in open source. Now it's his paycheck, but he got the job. Basically, Dan's Guardian ended up being his resume. He put it out there and what do you call it? Something like uh, adoration wear or something. He dedicated it to his girlfriend, <laughs> and so it wasn't freeware. It wasn't necessarily open source. Uh, it, but it was. It was just you know I'm doing this because I love my girlfriend and she supports me. Uh, but and then later he GPL'd it and and w- went from there. So, um, but if you're a school or a single user, you can use it for free. Yeah, he has a weird sort of. It's GPL, but not quite. It's it's kind of weird, um, but. He says it's Stallman approved. So it's GPL that you have to pay for. Now, if you're running anything based on Debian, Debian bought the license. It was only a thousand bucks or something like that. The license to own and redistribute Dan's Guardian. So, any Debian based distribution, being Ubuntu or Mint or any of those derivatives, you can app get install Dan's Guardian and it's there and you have it for free because Debian paid for it. Whether you're a business or a school or what. Yep. Wow, I just rambled off a lot of stuff there. Did that make sense?
1: Yes. Okay. Well, I followed it pretty well, so.
0: Good.
2: (laughs) And you agreed with Wikipedia, so.
0: Okay. As long as I agree with uh, the difference between SmoothWall.org and SmoothWall.com. SmoothWall.org is uh, for home use. Yep. SmoothWall.com is for enterprise use. So SmoothWall.com is SmoothWall.org plus, 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 plus. Everything smoothwall.org has, plus all sorts of enterprise stuff, plus a big price tag. It's expensive. It's one of the more expensive ones out there, but it's also, I think, the best. And I've tried I've tried a, a number of them, uh, and I think it's the one of the best out there.
1: How would you rate the difference between a paid Untangle and a paid Smoothwall?
0: Um, I can't necessarily uh, tell you that, but my understanding of the paid Untangle is that it doesn't do the web the, the smart analyzing of content. It's just a better block list.
1: Okay. Because at my school, we have the paint untangled because we wanted the caching and everything. And we're noticing that the only thing that we're having a problem with is that Untangle is uh, eating up a huge machine in order to run for our network. Um, it, it's a very large server. Um Eight cores and sixteen gigs of RAM. I mean, it's it's a it's a beast.
0: Oh wow, and mine is way less than that, and I have more computers than you do,
1: right? But we have um we have all the content filtering stuff going through it. We okay. have we have caching. We have um uh what's the name of it? I can't think of it now off the top of my head. What is it called? Balancing. We have network oh, that, balancing okay. between two legs. So that that's part of it, and I'm, we're trying to figure out what is the the beast that's eating up this machine because we're still go through you know on the old dual core it would hit high and then on the process use, and you might also well forget using anything then on the internet now we still get high usage where it says you know you're at your your high but it's only for a short time and we're trying to figure out what it is hmm. so I,
0: I, I don't know I don't have that experience Uh, we're getting we're getting a little long here. I don't I don't want to take this make this a two hour show, um, but I will. I do want to say that uh, a lot of the the content filters out there that we've talked about these these block lists are based off of a, a tool called SquidGuard. So you have your Squid proxy. It's paying attention to everything that comes in anyway. So some guys figured out it was pretty trivial to say okay these things that come in don't cache it just block it deny it re- yep. redirect it to this block page. So, and there are these uh, lists, uh, these free lists out there that, that people uh, uh, check in and, you know, they go out and, and they browse around and, and they classify it as being porn or being hate speech or being um, nudity or whatever. And and you so you can do all this absolutely free and it's fine, but it's, it's always a cat and mouse game. It's yep. always somebody puts something out there, you have to wait for it to be found, um, and then you have to um, add it to your block list, then it's blocked. And now Untangle, for example, they have a team of people that they are pay, have paid full time to do just that. So that's one of the things, one of the reasons that their uh, paid filter is expensive, but it's still just a URL block. Uh, whereas Dan's Guardian is, uh, and the Smooth Guardian uh, product of Smoothball is AI for all, all intents and purposes. It's it's crude AI, but it is AI. It's it's scanning the content of the page, b- uh, batching it up against things that you have Predefined and blocking or denying uh, or or allowing based on what you say. Yeah.
1: But, you know, my, my, also the thing I figured out is that blacklists, you know, like you're saying, Mark, is a cat and mouse game. But, you know, it blacklists don't really work either, though, because, you know, we, we can't block list or blacklist all the spam providers. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's like you said, a cat and mouse game. So,
0: and then you get the issue of, of URL blacklisting versus versus site blacklisting. So, like you you won't don't want to blacklist um, GeoCities to go to something that doesn't even exist anymore, because there's lots of good stuff on GeoCity or was, and lots of crap on GeoCities. So then you end up having to allow GeoCities but block GeoCities slash Sunset Strip slash one one three nine four eight. I think that's what their URLs used to look like. Um, So you know it gets it gets tricky, and so uh, an intelligent quote unquote intelligent system makes a lot more sense. Um, uh, you know I've recommended Open DNS a lot on the show, and they're just a blacklist too. I mean they just yeah uh, they they can't even do URL filtering; it's all domain based. Yep. But you know it is what it is.
1: But in all in all, you know, having a nice beige box with one of these. Systems running, you'll see a performance increase also inside your inside your network. No, like sorry. we were saying before, yeah. Um, for example, my box has a gigabit card on both ends, and a guy of gigabit switches in my entire house. So now, when I'm doing tra- file transfers, I'm running at the f- at a gigabit speed instead of you know hitting that bottleneck when it hit the router, and you know turn into sludge because it's can't move at the same speed that all the rest of the machines are.
0: So, just a quick uh, rundown of what you might choose to use. I like an old laptop. Find one with a busted screen. You can pick those up on eBay for 10 bucks. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you don't need a screen. You hook it up to a monitor to configure it, then you slide it under the bed. It's quiet. It's low heat. It's low power. And it runs forever. It's done. And it's got an, a built-in battery <laughs> backup,
1: you know, because laptops it's have It's done. It. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, she is done. Um, or, you know, just any any spare box you've got laying around that you can stick somewhere. It doesn't have to have anything special, you know, like a hundred megahertz processor or more is fine.
1: Yep. It doesn't take much to do this.
0: Right. And like I said, but, even even the hundred megahertz processor is probably faster than what's in the Linksys thing that you're running now. It could be. Okay, so I think we're going to wrap up that part of the conversation. We could we could spend the next three hours going off on this because there's it's it's one of those things that's easy to geek out about. Uh, but you know, guys listening live, if you have any questions, feel free to throw them in there and we'll address them as we go. But for now, let's move on to our tips of the week. So, Mr. Chris Neves, what is our command line tip of the week?
1: SFTP. Bless you. Yes, uh, I figured I'd get something like that. Um, what SFTP is is a command line version of a uh, FTP client and I used it this week which is why I'm bringing it up because I forgot a couple of things about SFTP when I was using it but uh the thing works really well there's a nice good write-up on Wikipedia about what the client is how you know all the switches and all the commands are the other thing I like about it is you can browse both local and remote for your file system so if you're trying to find that one file that you forgot where it is You can also browse on your local side and the remote side to find where that needs to go and then move it accordingly. Um, I was working on our our fog server and I needed to move a a kernel file over to it because it wouldn't download from the uh, uh, website or the, the, the web based control system. So I had to actually go and download it myself and move it over there without. Um, any interaction with the browser so it was a tri- it was a little bit of a trivial issue to do but you got to remember that a capital p is different than a lowercase p yes <laughs> that took me 5 minutes 5 to 10 minutes to remember that oh yes if i need to change the port it's a capital p
0: and i contend that that is not a feature it is a bug that <laughs> File uh, case sensitivity in a file system is a bug, not a feature.
2: But, Mark, you might want a file named Mark with a lowercase m and another file named Mark with a capital M. No. (laughs) You never know when you might need that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the the Linux zealots will say that all the time. It's more precise. And you can have all these different files. If you camel hump something, you can have 15 different file names with the same. No, it's a bug. It's not well, a feature. It's a bug. That's not like a to...
2: topic for periodic table there when you start talking about camel hunting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, but the, uh, yeah, Oracle and Microsoft SQL are the same way. You know, Microsoft SQL, when you do transact SQL scripts, it's it's case insensitive. You can cause it to be case sensitive. You can look for case. You can change case within strings of text. But Oracle is case specific on every search. Uh, so it, it can be a little frustrating, especially if you do like me and you've done. Mostly Microsoft SQL, and then you jump into Oracle for a little bit, and you're like, why isn't this working? Right. It's exactly the right command. Why isn't it working? Yeah. So, I Aaron, can't find a single mark in the entire database. That's just ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Aaron, you mentioned the periodic table. Where would they find that and other shows if they were so interested?
2: They could find a, literally a myriad or plethora of shows at elementop.com if they show cho- so chose, show chose, if they if they decide to go there. Um that's where all okay, the shows are. That was are my based. mistake,
0: picking a guy who's drugged out on NyQuil to do the, uh, yeah, exactly. the wrap
2: up part of the show. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know if you heard on the end of One Mill Workout, Mark, yet, but if you listen to the whole thing, I, I let Don do the closeout. You know, remember, right. for, he, he, he totally flubbed it. It was awesome. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh or you can go to facebook.com forward slash elementOP. That's where we've got the all the great stuff is on the main elementOP.com website. We've got the, the chat room. We've got the forums. We've got the live stream each week. We've got just a an incredible array of things to choose from. We can even receive a voice from you, or you can type your number in and Opie will call you and you can leave a voicemail for the show and we will play it on the show. Um, unedited, unabridged, unless of course it's really, really bad. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. just make sure it's it's radio broadcast appropriate, of course. Um, but yeah, 559 I am opie O-P-I-E, and we'd love to hear from our listeners. We need more show topics.
0: That's right. We're out. We're done
2: us, is the end.
0: This was the last of our uh, seven or eight uh, string of, of show topics. So next week, you're going to get something like, um, hey, Chris, what did you play with for five minutes this week that we can do a show about?
2: <laughs> so yeah, I put something have- in, the, in the forums this week. Um, I don't know if it's an actual show topic or not. Let me, let me, I'll just jump in there while we're talking. Go ahead, everybody. Talk amongst yourselves.
1: <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're you're the you're, you're the chief. You go first.
0: All right. Well, I was just going to say that we uh we we really are a community driven show. Uh, we need to know what we're talking about, and and the chatter in the chat room right now, the chatter in the chat room the, that would be, uh, redundantly repetitive, um, is that most of the stuff we do leads you on to have to go do research of your own because we only have you know a little bit of time here hour hour and a half at the most to cover a, a broad subject. If there's something you want us to go back and delve deep into. Let us know, and we'll try to pick something apart. Maybe we'll make a you know a six or eight podcast series off of these web things where we talk about uh, dig deep into to caching and all that sort of stuff. Now that's uber geeky, and it's not so much the the uh, uh, noob friendly way to do things. But if you are uh, uh, audience requests that we'll do it.
1: Yeah, put a show, put a, a post up in the forum. You know, if you want to know more about PF Sense and my experiences with it. Ask for it. I'll gladly ramble on for an hour about my trials and tribulations of, you know, working with PF sense. And I know a couple other people that run PF sense that could, uh, add their two bits to it as well. So.
0: All right, guys, any last comments before we close out the show? Not for me.
1: No, no, I'm good. Not unless, uh, Oh, good Lord. We have a question about <laughs> Samba. Oh, <laughs> Put a post up, we'll try it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Samba could take the rest of we could never do another podcast and cover only Samba for the next several years.
1: Yeah. Samba's
0: deep. So having said that, when you have a question, if possible, try to make it a specific question. Now yeah. I understand that sometimes the, the more the the as specific as you can get is help. And <laughs> we understand that. And we like those kind of questions too. But um, try to be specific about what you need because that helps us in our show prep. It, it may not sound like it, but we actually do a lot of work going into these shows. It, it sounds like we're just talking out of our hind parts, uh, which we do a good bit of that too, but there's actually a lot of work that goes into these shows.
1: Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Bring up your posts, bring up your questions. We'll do what we can. And,
0: uh, if you don't want to hear from our
2: hind parts,
1: <laughs> give us good topics.
0: It reminds me of that scene in, um, um, yep. Yeah. Uh, call, uh, oh my gosh. Jim Carrey. Jim, yes. That one.
2: <laughs> Pet detective. I'm trying to lead Ace you to Ventura, it. Ace Ventura.
0: Pet there detective. There you go. That's it. <laughs> I didn't he, want to
2: give it to you totally. <laughs> yeah.
0: Where he bends over and he's literally talking out of his ass and he says, excuse me, may I ask you a question? <laughs> oh, Do you have was- a mint? Perhaps some banaca?
2: That was the absolutely worst scene in the movie. Yeah. But it's a classic. At the same time.
0: I love that movie. (laughs) Okay. Before we ramble on about bad 90s movies, we've already talked about bad lip syncing syncing in the Grammys. So uh, let's uh, just call this quits. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Lux.